0: Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Good morning. Hello. Glad to see you. My hope and my prayer is that this morning we will have an experience of worship um, and that there will be a progression, a progression of worship, that we would begin by entering his courts with praise and thanksgiving and joy and an extroverted form of worship and um, And then that it would have um, a progression where we would find ourselves beholding his glory. Can you imagine that for a moment? Um, His glory and his worth. By nature, that's a very humbling thing for us as humans. It is a very holy and reverent act that we are invited to participate in, to join with the saints and the angels and the heavenly beings in heavenly places. In declaring His power and worth, in beholding the glory of a holy God, it is transformative um, and it is humbling. But first, let's begin by standing up. If you're if you're able to, and if you if you can, let's stand up for the first couple of songs. Let's rejoice in that God is God and that we are His. a song that never ends I want to read to you a quote from Matt Redman when it comes to worship the throne always sets the tone each time we gather together we don't just journey to a church building we journey to the very throne of God I think sometimes we need to maybe adjust our thinking in that don't we To lose sight of this is to lose sight of the majestic in worship. Every kingdom has a king, and every king has a throne, and the kingdom of God is no exception. He is the king above all kings, and he has the throne above all thrones. There is no higher seat of authority, power, and splendor in the whole of the universe. The elders bow low there, the angels encircle it, and the whole host of heaven arrange themselves around it. One day, a countless multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue will gather there. And as Ron Owens tells us, when we come to worship, we come to a throne, and everything else arranges itself around that throne. We want to teach you a new song. Sing along when you can. Thank you. that we've been singing are inspired and they're borrowed and they're grounded in Scripture. And we are so fortunate to have the gift of the Bible, God's Word, Scripture, available to guide us, to teach us, to show us truth, keep us grounded, and give us revelations of who God is and who we are. Um, so much of the truths, you know, of of theology we learned in songs, didn't we? Growing up, singing, and um, those truths open up our hearts to encounters with God and to deep, meaningful experiences. How many of you ever sat around a campfire singing songs about God? Um, moments I'll never forget. I was having, I had a conversation with somebody this week in my neighborhood, and he was telling me about an encounter with God that he had. Um, it was bizarre. It was um, way out there, possibly drug induced. <laughs> um, And I listened for a long time, and I said, "What would you like from me?" Um, He said, "I'd like your opinion." Um, I said, "Well, um, that experience was probably very authentic to you, but I have to base my validity of spiritual um, issues and experiences, um, you know, with some through some kind of litmus test, and for me, it's the Bible." Um, and I'll just be honest, you know, the, the kind of experience that you had with God was not the loving, compassionate, merciful God of the Bible. Um, and so, what a gift God has given us, you know, through Scripture, through the Bible, that we have to guide us, to teach us, to reveal Himself to us in what he's like and and to teach us correct us and so as we move on in the service um, with that in mind we want to sing a song for you sing with us please if you can if you know it Um, really just a simple song thanking God uh, for this gift you mm-hmm. Teach us, guide us, instruct us, and show us your faith. Show us your purpose, your attributes and your loving kindness. And impart them, Lord, into us to go out and live it. Amen.
1: Well good morning everyone. It's good to see all of you this morning and our friends on the live stream. We welcome you as well. I want to get out of the way. Jeff's gonna be coming with the podium here. All good. As we're getting ready to give our offering this morning, the ushers are all ready to go. Wow, they're they're really quick this morning. I didn't even have to invite them forward. Just as a reminder, our Change for Change bucket is in the back as well, and the monies this next month are going to be used to help our sister church in Bulgaria, Harry and Penka, with their Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. So if you have any loose change, you can drop it off in the offering bucket back there. Let me pray before we take up the offering. God, we do thank you for the ancient words. And as Sean and I were talking this week, we were talking about singing those old songs like the B-I-B-L-E. Some of us grew up with those songs, Lord. But we thank you that your word is the living truth of who you are. Your love and your mercy and your grace and your compassion that you lavish so richly on us. Lord, especially your love. God, I thank you for these good folks here and all of our friends online who are with us all across the United States. We thank you for all of them, Lord, being here with us. And we ask you to bless this time and bless these gifts that are be about to be given. In. in Jesus' name, amen. So ushers, pass those offering bucks. Buckets. Bucks. That was interesting. Pass the offering bucks. Ah, that's good, too. Bucks, dollars, Okay. A couple of announcements for you this morning. The adult class on spiritual abuse continues following the service over in the fellowship hall and online, so you don't want to forget about that. Next Sunday, because it's Labor Day, the class won't be meeting. Also, Children's Ministry is starting a new series called Challenges. It's going to run between September and October for eight weeks, and this series captures some family-friendly fun that teach kids how to follow Jesus so kids parents don't forget to bring your kids to kid venture I think they're already back in their classes now that would be great a couple other announcements <clears throat> our building gets used a lot you'd be surprised even after almost a year and a half with the pandemic right and we've had three particular people that have just week in and week out dedicated themselves to helping to clean the building Our clean team kind of dispersed after the pandemic started because we weren't meeting. But now that we're back together, we'd like to give these three people that have been very faithful some help. So if you can help and volunteer on the clean team one time a month, that's all it is. And you can pick your own hours. So if you can help clean the building, see me or call the church office after the service. All righty. And one final thing. You know, for the longest time, we didn't have our mail slots out in the foyer. And people miss that, right? So we thought one of the new things that we can do is when the pandemic was slowly getting over is bring back the mail slots and you were all excited about it. But the only thing is we haven't had anything in the mail slots for you to look at. (laughs) Well, now we do. So this week we started something called Hosanna's Happenings. And it's kind of a list of things with dates and times For you to mark your calendars, post it up on your refrigerator. This is going to be online, too. It says the free community clothing giveaways on there. The Hosanna at the movies with all the dates, and the Friday night showings that we'll be doing here, so you can all be prepared for the Hosanna at the movies on Sunday. And then finally, the congregational meeting. That's new. We're going to be having a congregational meeting on Sunday, October 17th, immediately following the service. And then we're going to have a fellowship meal, here you go, of ham and cheese sandwiches on pretzel rolls, which is going to be a fundraiser for our youth group. So these are some things that you can just get out of your mail slot today, hang it on your refrigerator or somewhere, mark the dates in your calendar so you can join us, get all the fellowship and community back together again. And with that, I'm going to invite Joanne and Tony (laughs) for our message this morning. Tony's invisible,
2: actually. We'll see him in just a moment. Um, He wasn't, we were working Friday on actually this message together, and he just said, I'm not feeling great. Got a text this morning that he's really not feeling great. And so I said, okay, we'll figure something out. And he said, well, I'm going to record my parts of the message. And I'm like, why don't you just take a rest and we'll figure something out. And he, like, he, he was very insistent. So you're going to see him in just a moment. It, w- it won't be live. It'll just be a few hours um, old. He wants to go back and forth like we always do in giving messages. Um, and this one on the Bible is, they all matter, or, or at least we think they do, or we wouldn't be giving them to you. Um, but this one in our... In our day and time, it really does matter that we continue to honor God's written word in ways that are life-giving, not only for us, but can be life-giving for people who object to the, to the scriptures. So that's what we're going to be talking about in just a moment. Um, before we do, though, I would like us to pray, and I believe I'm not alone in this, What's happening in, in Afghanistan, let's take, let's take all the politics out of it. Let's take all the religion out of it. Let's just for a moment pray to the God whose heart is breaking because he loves every single human being, every human being, regardless of what they choose to do. Carry the likeness and image of God within them. And there's always the potential for the Holy Spirit who's not limited by geography or distance. Hi, everyone. We're proving that, you know, during COVID and post-COVID with so many folks watching on live stream and uh, joining us in a real way. I think not just observing, but participating. The, The Holy Spirit is present. All I have around the globe is, is present everywhere, including Afghanistan. And um, God's heart breaks. As priests before God, we minister. It's like the priest stands, you know, in the holy place, stands at the altar, and pivots. There's a pivoting in what we do as priests. We face the people on behalf of God, right? All of us are priests before God. So we stand before each other, and God works through us toward each other, toward the world. But we forget sometimes that the priest also turns back toward God like this. When I was, I was raised Roman Catholic before, um, Uh, Vatican II and the priest used to stand like this with back to the people why? ministering to God on behalf of the people this morning I think we need to turn toward God to minister to his broken heart and to minister on behalf of his people for all the people of the world Are we together? So I'd ask if we could just take a moment, be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. Wherever you are in your living room, wherever. Whenever you're watching this, because this prayer is timeless. And I'm going to just voice a few words that don't even begin to touch the need, the heart, the heart of God. But... They don't begin, but let's do what we can and let's pray together. Loving God, we feel helpless. As someone prayed this morning in our circle, We are helpless. We are powerless. It's as if the world is spinning out of control. We're at a loss, Lord. So we're not going to try to tell you what to do. Because it's obvious that no human being knows what to do right now. Lord, rather we are choosing... To stand with you in Christ, in Jesus, when he chose to be powerless, when he chose to struggle in Gethsemane, when he chose to turn himself over to the worst that human beings could do and receive it and not retaliate, when he chose to turn himself over to a cross and love and forgive from there. Lord, it's beyond us. But we're choosing the reality that we all died, all of humanity died when he died. And Lord, we're also choosing hope. Because when he rose, every One who chooses to rise with him rises to a new world, rises to Eden restored, rises to your hope, your plan, your desire, your original blessing, Lord. We pray. We want to be with you as your heart breaks and love you, Lord. We are so grateful for you. We are so grateful that you are a love that never lets go. We are so grateful that you want every heart turned and turned toward your son. And Lord, we pray somehow that you would save in every way, that you would save lives, that you would save young women, young adult women in Afghanistan who, for the last 20 years, have lived in a way that they didn't have to be afraid. God, we pray for your protection. We pray that your desires, your will, would be done on earth, in Afghanistan and around the world. That somehow we'd find a way (laughs) to trust you enough to let you do what only you can do so that maybe, just maybe, the kingdom of God can come on earth as it is in heaven. So a lot of words, Lord, (laughs) trying to find a way to express our hearts to you, to say please, Hosanna, Lord, save now in every way that you save. Please, reveal yourself in ways that others cannot say is anything but you. Save now, Lord, we pray. And we pray all of this in the name of the one who died. Taking all of this and every sin that humans have ever done, the worst that we could do to each other, it's already in the grave. It's already dead if we just wake up and see it. Lord, let us all rise. Let every knee back, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ, the Lord of love, is Lord. And we pray in his name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, well that was an introduction to a message. (laughs) And it does tie in. Um, And I think it's important for us to pray as we gather worship so Tony's going to start us off I have no idea how this is going to go but what else is new for Hosanna right <laughs> hi Tony
3: <laughs> good morning Hosanna I really wish I could be there with you in person I picked up a uh, bug sometime in the last couple of days I don't think it's that bug but um <laughs> seem like the wiser thing to do would not, not to inflict myself on you so uh, I am here on your screen on the wall and uh, hopefully we'll be able to continue and carry on a normal conversation and uh, you, have, um, you have the better one in the room anyway with um, Joanne being present with you let's start with a little song that I learned in Sunday school maybe some of you learned it as well B-I-B-L-E <laughs> yes that's the book for me uh, stand alone on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E I grew up in a church in a family environment that was saturated with the Bible. We memorized scripture, dozens of verses at a time. Uh, We read it nearly daily for fun. Teenagers would join Bible-quizzing teams, competing against other kids from other churches to answer questions about the Bible. My team won the national championship for our denomination my senior year of high school. We were good at this. But in those days, it wasn't just my family or my church that emphasized the Bible perhaps not to the same degree, but for generations of basic knowledge of scripture was sort of assumed in our culture. People knew it, people talked about whether they believed it, whether they followed it or not, at least had some familiarity. The Bible was referenced in political speeches. When Martin Luther King quoted the prophet Amos repeatedly in his I Have a Dream speech, he didn't even tell the audience that he was. He didn't quote the references. He assumed that they knew the reference. They would recognize. ah, that's Amos. The same used to be true in our newspapers, in our popular culture, and in great literature. In fact, I think Joanne has a little story uh, of her own to talk to share about that.
2: Oh, I, I was listening to Tony and I forgot <laughs> I was gonna share a story. Right, uh, biblical illusions. right? That what he's saying is there was a time in our culture when even in public schools everywhere, people were aware of the Bible. When I was in high school, junior and senior year i was in this advanced english class and they one of uh, our, our teacher in high school was actually one of the teachers the instructors from a, a local community college he was awesome but when we read moby dick and we read moby dick like moby dick we read it the whole all of it one of the assignments one night was go home come back tomorrow with a hundred biblical allusions in Moby Dick. And of course the first one, Call Me Ishmael, that's how the book starts. Well, who's Ishmael? Oh, yeah, it went from there. So yeah, I was just gonna tell that story in order to uh, support what Tony was saying about how really our culture has become biblically illiterate.
3: It's not that way anymore, is it? Nowadays, even most of the teachers may not recognize the biblical allusions in Moby Dick or in other literature. Mm -hmm. Most people, including most Christians, are only barely aware of the content of the best-selling book in the English language for for centuries. Politicians sometimes quote it still, but usually out of context. And to use a biblical allusion in writing, you probably need to both explain it and maybe even defend it. Why are you bringing this book into that conversation? The good news is that a majority of Americans do agree with us that the Bible is God's word. But more people are skeptical about the Bible than ever before. We can't do more what Billy Graham used to do so well. Remember? Uh, he would pronounce, the Bible says, and then he would quote it. And his pronouncement in that word of the Bible carried authority and people would listen and they'd even respond. Perhaps some of us here responded to a Billy Graham message somewhere along the way. And there was a time when that was persuasive enough. Now, many people would simply shrug and say, I don't care what the Bible says. You hear this quite a bit online. You, you mm-hmm. can get the T-shirt. I don't care what the Bible says. Yeah. So how do we respond to that? How can we carry on a conversation with people about this book that means so much to us when they seem so disinterested?
2: Yeah, And so that's our topic today. This is the third message in our series called Living Conversations. Last week, we talked about how to have a conversation about God, which is tricky enough. But talking about the Bible can be even trickier at times than talking about God, especially for Christians, Christians who love this, the grand panoramic story of the scriptures but who don't know how to convey the beauty of that story to those who reject or object to the Bible. So what, what, see, we don't want to react to these objectors or deniers, Bible deniers. We don't want to react to these folks with anger or give them a lecture and simply you know, try to prove you're wrong, we're right, done. We want to have real conversations. And in order to have a real conversation, we need to learn not to react, but to respond to them with wisdom and grace. Now, that can happen when we can take a step back from the facts that we we know, facts we know about the Bible, and actually seek some understanding about what we don't know. See, we do not know what is going on inside that person. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know why. They're objecting or rejecting. So a a great place for us to start in conversation, this kind of conversation, let's begin by listening. Just just ask the question, why do you object to the Bible? And then listen and take their reasons seriously. Not just listening so that you can construct some kind of an argument in your head to blast back at them. No, take them seriously. Because, you know, generally people's objections to the Bible fall into two broad categories. First category is that they object to the book itself for a number of reasons. First, maybe they object to the book because they don't understand what the Bible really is. A lot of Christians don't either. See, the Bible is not primarily an instruction manual, it is not a rule book. It is not a textbook for some classes in which we're being graded on whether we have all the right answers or not. The Bible is something far more wondrous and mysterious than that. It is a written record of countless ongoing conversations between God and human beings and human beings and God and humans and other humans and God and humans. About God and humans. The Bible is actually what this whole series on, on living conversations is about because the Bible is living conversation with the living God. It's a whole record of looking back from the very beginning. You start in the garden, God's walking in the cool of the day. Obviously, they're having some kind of communication together. And then when first man and woman make a big, huge mistake, they're hiding. What happens? God comes and initiates a conversation. Where are you? You start there and you go all the way through the entire history, salvation history, It's a series of conversations with the living God. And this has all been preserved for us so that we who are living now, we get to eavesdrop a bit on some of the conversations that God had with folks then. Folks who have already gone on to the the other side in that great cloud of witnesses. And it's been, oh my gosh, the grace that it's been preserved for us so that we might learn and grow in faith and hope and love through learning from their conversations and having our own conversations now. Make sense? So of course a lot of of those biblical conversations and the story of the scriptures itself are messy for sure. And yet God has never stopped initiating conversations with anyone and everyone in this messy world. And God has never stopped wanting us to talk to him in all of our messiness. There's two verses that I, I think are fun because one talks about us talking to God. God wants to hear us. And the other talks about God always talking to us. Jeremiah 33, three, Call to me, God says, and I'll answer you. And I'll tell you great and hidden things you have not known. And then Job 33:14. 14. For God speaks again and again, though people don't recognize it. See, God is always speaking, always wanting to initiate conversation with us. But we don't know how to perceive it. God does speak in so many ways, but one of the most important ways that he reveals himself is through the Bible. And it's not surprising, then, that people don't recognize, or that they don't understand They don't perceive how God is speaking there. And some of the reason is that the Bible is an incredibly complex and diverse book. It was written over hundreds and thousands of years in three different languages, none of them English, by dozens of different people living in many different places and cultures. It it uses just a whole bunch of different literary genres, from history to poetry to um, the gospel narratives to letters, epistles of Paul. There's so many different genres. And throughout history, Jews, Catholics, and Protestants have disagreed even on, on the books that should be included in it. With all this going on... We need to recognize that for Christians, and especially for those who are outside of the faith, the Bible can be very hard to understand. <laughs> so you know what happens? Some people, they simplify things. What they, they just assume it's incomprehensible for any person in the 21st century. just makes it easier. They just dismiss it. And say, well, you know, there's no way for it to make sense to someone like me. It only Maybe it makes some sense to those who have specialized training or some advanced degrees. But not me. The good news here is that we don't need to master all the intricacies and details of the Bible. I, as an English major, do enjoy the various genres of literature that are all present in the Bible. You don't have to appreciate that. You don't have to master that. See, what in conversations with people who are objecting to the Bible? What's the most important thing to understand? To understand the big picture good news that this is a glorious love story. See, when you're talking with someone who's getting stuck in the details of of kings with funny-sounding names or hard-to-pronounce places... Do what we talked about last week. Just kiss them. Keep it simple, saints. Just keep it simple. Admit, you don't even know all the minute details about everything in the Bible. And the good news is, see, then we can join our conversation partner and say, look, you're saying you don't understand. I'm saying I don't understand everything either. But let's start someplace. Start with the Gospels. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Why? Because the simplest way to begin the conversation is to say, hey, let's pay attention to Jesus. God, come to earth to be with us and to restore us in love. Let's start there. And let's listen together
4: to what God might be saying to both of us. According in progress.
3: There's another reason why people object to the book itself, and that is because they think it's pretty messed up. It's full of contradictions or errors, that it's intolerant and judgmental, that it condones slavery and genocide and all other kinds of evil. And we're not going to take the time this morning, we'd be at it all day, to be honest, to try to explain or defend the Bible against all of that. The good news is we don't need to. No. When in ordinary conversation with others about the Bible, I mean, there's some simple suggestions for responding to these kind of concerns. This is as far as most ordinary conversations need to go. And then sometimes, yes, some deeper conversations are warranted. And um uh, and uh, people like me sometimes get involved with with those as well. First, it's okay to acknowledge that the Bible is an ancient book. It's written by ancient people and ancient cultures, and its context reflects those cultures. Um, So when we read the Bible, yes, we encounter a lot of violence and some truly horrendous stories. It reflects the times in which they lived, the water that they swam in, and most of them did not challenge those basic assumptions. This was the world as they knew it. But... There's more in there than that. Rather than condoning it, the Bible was planting and watering seeds for a better world than that. And look, give me an example here. There's a reason that nearly all of those who work worked to abolish slavery here in the US and in, in, in Britain were Christian. Why? Because it's kind of hard to keep someone in chains if you really believe what the Bible says, that they're made in the image and likeness of God, just like me. It's really hard to keep them in chains if you see them as, like, as, as a fellow believer, even if we're one in Christ and we're equal in Christ. And how dare I keep you in chains? Not everyone in the Bible got the radical implications of what God was doing and the seeds that God was planting, but they are there. And as time went on, more and more people did. And it continues to unfold. There is an awful lot that is um, wonderfully countercultural. Well, um, in this ancient book written in an ancient time the second is Joanne just said we're, we're, we're likely to say again in this message another thing to do when people raise this question is just point them to Jesus you don't have to defend or explain the wars of the Old Testament I'm not sure I can to explain how Jesus came that we could have life mm-hmm. have it to the full have it forever yes. See, Jesus gets to be the good guy in the story he's the focus, he's the one we lean into and Jesus is pretty darn attractive. He's the one that we that we follow so uh, yeah we're we're not, um, we're not people of the book of numbers it's helpful in terms of providing background to this but we are gospel Christians uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus is a key to the scriptures We may never make sense of everything else but he's the one that is pointed to in the Old Testament and the one that the New Testament testifies about and he's good. And we can just keep reminding people of that. Jesus agrees with most of the critiques that people have about how about religion in general. We made that case in the last couple of weeks. And finally, maybe you could point to what what are sometimes called inconsistencies or errors are simply the way that different eyewitnesses tell the story. Now, there are some places in the Bible that get a little tricky, and I haven't necessarily sorted them all out, but uh, a lot of them are not that difficult. For instance, here's, here's, here's one example that I, I like to use. There's a story about Jesus healing a demon-possessed man in the region of the Gadarenes. He crosses the sea of Galilee, come out of this region, and there's this man, and, he, um, and Jesus casts the demons out. Well, it's recorded in three of the Gospels. Mark and Luke say it's one man, but Matthew says it's two And the temptation of the critic is to say, ah, gotcha. The Bible can't even keep the story straight. They're making something up here. Well, or or the alternative explanation is that Matthew actually was there. He was one of the 12. He was with Jesus. He was an eyewitness to this event. And so he remembers the second guy who wasn't central to the story in the way that the first guy was. But Mark and Luke weren't there. They recorded the, the, I, the accounts of other people later. And so as they're listening to these stories, they write down decades later, they're focused on the one guy that Jesus interacted with the most because that's what people remember and that's what people think is most important. It actually makes the story more credible, doesn't it? Because this is what eyewitness accounts, this is what eyewitness testimony looks like. That there's almost always some variation in the details, but if you put a couple of those perspectives together, you get a fuller picture of what is actually happening. So now there's some really, really quick advice on how maybe you can counter some of the the argument uh, that the Bible is messy. But let me give you some encouragement before I pass this back over to Joanne. Likely because of the pandemic, more people trust the Bible this year yep. than did last year. There's a recent survey, most Americans, it's a, it's a bare majority, it's only 54%, but it's but it's higher than it was last year, believe that America would be worse off without the Bible. Yeah. Only 14% believe that the nation would be better off without, without the Bible. So the majority of people we talk with are still going to believe that the Bible is a good book, and we won't, probably won't have to have a whole lot of hostile conversations when we're feeling the need to explain and defend everything. Um, but even if they are, um, you don't feel the don't feel the need to get defensive about that. Just explain how you have found the book to be life-giving, and uh, particularly how it points to Jesus. And um, for the most people, that uh, that says an awful lot.
4: Yeah.
2: All right, another reason people object to the Bible is because they think the Bible is irrelevant to their lives. That, like Tony was just saying, um, it's written by ancient people. It was written so long ago, and sometimes they'll say primitive. Uh, Primitive goes way back further in history than than ancient, but still, it's written by ancient people with, with no connection to life in the 21st century, and so it doesn't have anything meaningful to say to us now. Well, it is true that ancient people did write the text. Um, it's true, ancient people didn't have cell phones, computers, or the Internet. So, but, but neither did Galileo. Uh, where's that picture? I love this. Yeah, I I just learned this week that um, you can have Galileo on your cell phone in your pockets. It's some kind of a satellite thing. Uh, But this is Galileo holding a cell phone. Interesting, (laughs) Galileo said himself, the Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. In other words, science. It's not a science book. Galileo is listened to today, revered. Newton, Darwin, Einstein, none of them had cell phones, computers, the internet. And yet no one considers them irrelevant. Right? Lots of philosophers, lots of religious figures, ancient ones, even. No one considers them irrelevant. They'll listen to Plato. There's a lot of Platonic philosophy that's going on right now. Buddha? Interesting, isn't it? They're not irrelevant. Hmm. Yes, science has made remarkable advances in understanding the natural world. Absolutely. We do scientifically know some things today that the biblical writers didn't know in their day. But the Bible was not intended to teach us about science. It was written to reveal things science can't know anything about. It was written to reveal intangible realities that you can't put under a microscope or measure in a laboratory. Intangible realities about God and faith, about love and hope, about life and death. And it was written to reveal to us eternal realities, not just intangible realities for this here and now of this lifetime, but eternal realities that actually make life worth living in any century you may live in. So yes, we may have more scientific knowledge and information today. But the Bible teaches us beyond science. It offers what they knew spiritually about ultimate meaning and purpose, about how transformation and wisdom happen, about the love that's perfect because God is love, that love we're all longing for but are incapable of sustaining on our own. That book knows a lot about that. And about the hope that never disappoints. So if we think about it, meaning and purpose, transformation, wisdom, love, hope, all of these seem to be in very short supply in the 21st century, don't they? So it appears that the Bible is anything but irrelevant today. And for us to have focus and enough clarity in a conversation that we're not defensive. We don't have to defend it. To be logical, to be rational, to be reasonable. And say what's true. Oh, yeah. The Bible is anything but irrelevant today.
3: We're asking the question, why do people object to the Bible? The first, perhaps most obvious answer is the book itself, what it contains. And we've addressed three areas of concern that people raise about what the Bible contains. But there's another answer. And this one is less about the book, and is more about the people associated with it. Yeah. In other words, sometimes you and me, mm-hmm. how we use the Bible and how we talk about it with people. Now, there's several challenges here, just like there are several challenges related to the book, and one of them is that people don't often know whose interpretation to trust. Mm-hmm. We probably all felt that tension sometimes, right? Someone says it means this, and someone else says it means that, and who's right? Um, Joanne and I sometimes sit up here and we think it's this, and that we try to be humble, and we encourage you to do your own study, and reach your own conclusions, but there's so much spin out there in the world anyway so much spin about politicians, so much spin in marketing. So after a while, it's, become, it's easy to become cynical And somebody would just say the Bible can, people can make the Bible say whatever they want it to. Maybe you said it. And of course, interestingly, they're right. Like any other document, like any other collection of words, if you don't you treat it right, don't, don't interpret it well, then yeah, you can make it say. So no wonder people just assume that, some people at least assume, that religious people are doing the same thing with the Bible. But sometimes they are. Sometimes, very often, I would suggest, people have a preconceived notion and they go to the Bible to support it rather than the other way around. And it's it's fun to engage with our students at the seminary on these kind of experiences. They've already decided what they want to believe, and they're going to go proof text, find a couple verses here and there that seem to say that. And if you take those verses in context, um, it doesn't really um, mean that. So I, I get amused sometimes, irritated sometimes perhaps, but I get amused sometimes by some of the things that people say the Bible says. Um, there's a story in Second Kings. This is one of my favorite ones. I discovered this one years and years ago now. People were getting, some people were getting sick because they had accidentally included a poisonous plant in their common stew, they pot a big pot of stew, and they're eating it, and they're getting sick. And, uh, maybe that's what's wrong with me today. I don't know. Uh, Elijah the prophet sorted that out for them until, and this is cool, the King James Version of the Bible says, this is in the Bible, there was no evil in the pot. Now, can you see where this is going?
4: <laughs>
3: Someone actually used that verse as biblical justification for using marijuana. <laughs> now, I don't care what you believe about using marijuana or not, but that's not what that verse is about. What it meant was there was no poison left in the stew, and uh, they, they were safe to, um, uh, to eat it uh, together. There are other examples like that. Do You know that the Bible says, actually says, beware of dogs. There you go. All you pet lovers, the Bible is warning you against that. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you did that when you got here today? In an era of COVID, (laughs) it's probably not wise. Anyway, the Bible says it's a command in the Bible. Another one, drink a little wine. That's a hard one for people who believe that alcohol is prohibited by God. Uh, What do you do with that? And here's my favorite. I love this one. The fact that it's in Scripture. Joanne reminded me of this one the other day. The person who is weak in the faith eats only vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so take that, you vegetarians. You're weak in the faith. Bible <laughs> says so. Well, all of those, of course, are taken out of context. They're made to mean something they didn't mean when they were originally written. And here's some good news. You don't need a seminary degree to figure that out. Seriously, a good readable translation, most of the time you can sniff out if somebody's misused in Scripture like that. You have, uh, you have the mind of Christ. You have the Spirit of God. You know whether something sounds like God or not, right? So um, don't don't uh, yeah. n- don't get be followed by that, and you can also respond to people who are um, thinking about our context in, in, in some easy ways. Now, yes, there are some passages that are really hard to sort and the good news is that we don't or shouldn't derive core doctrine from tricky passages. Yep. It's okay to say, eh, you got a good point, I don't understand that one. I do that. I don't understand some of these. I'm not going to base my faith on those passages. I'm not going to drive my essential beliefs about God on passages that would be bewildering or confusing to me. And if someone is teaching from one of the tricky passages, listen or even ask and see if they've done their homework. So here's another thing that I get used about sometimes, and yes, probably irritated at times, when someone swears that I'm interpreting the Bible wrong about a passage, that I've actually studied at great length, and they haven't. So uh, there's a couple of topics in Scripture where um, I get picked on sometimes, particularly in social media or sometimes in class, and usually what I, the first thing I say is, they have become done study. If you've done the study and you've arrived at different conclusions, hey, for brothers and sisters in Christ, let's just read and disagree. It's cool. Um, But um, if you haven't done the study, I have. So maybe at this point um, my my viewpoint has a a little more credibility. This is true. Not all interpretations of the Bible are true. Just because people end up with different views doesn't mean that everybody's right. They're not. Not all the times. sometimes it takes a little work to sort it out. The good news is that most of the time the big picture, the gospel story remains clear yeah. and we can trust that we don't have to get caught up in the passages that are hard to understand.
4: yeah
3: And so maybe if you're getting together and you're talking with somebody about this, you could uh, maybe you and your conversation partner could study some of these things out together. hey let's look at it together and yeah. see what it says. Bring what you have to the table. I'll bring what I have, and um, and we'll sort it out. And maybe some minds will be changed, or maybe some spirits will be brought closer um, to the good God who's behind Scripture.
2: Yeah. Another reason some people object object to the Bible. <laughs> Again, this this study was very recent; was 2021 study, and that we're drawing you know some of these this information from. This one was not surprising at all. Another reason people object to the Bible, is because the Bible is because they don't like or want to be like some of the people who quote the Bible. And often with really good reason, right? Even Jesus and his followers, they were also not fond, to put it mildly, of how the scribes and Pharisees misused the scriptures to justify mistreating and marginalizing other people, to justify shaming and blaming others. Jesus was especially not fond of the way the evil one tried to use the scriptures against him in the wilderness. The scriptures themselves being holy can be used diabolically by human beings. Does that make sense? So using the scriptures to justify as Tony was saying earlier genocide you know Hatred of any particular group of human beings. Pick them. That's diabolical because that has nothing to do with God. To know God in order to interpret the scriptures, first, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, the Holy Spirit dwelling within is mandatory. And knowing God, not just about him, knowing God in a way that allows you to discern and sift and sort through what people are doing with the Bible and how they're quoting the Bible and the attitudes that they're having as they're talking about the Bible to come down to what's the heart of the matter here and where is God in this? Make sense? Tony has an example. He always does. Uh, that he's going to share now. In progress.
3: I had an experience like this a few years ago. I feel like I'm picking on politicians today. That's not my intent, but uh, sometimes they provide good illustrations of uh, the way people misuse words or, uh, in this case, misuse scripture. Uh, I met a, um, a, um, a politician, an elected representative, um, uh, in a meeting about something that was concerning to me in my day job and uh, he to meet with me and uh, we met for breakfast and he's sitting across the table from me and he pulls open his, his, his um, jacket pocket and he pulls out, one. so in one hand I have the U.S. Constitution and the other pocket I have the New Testament and he shows these to me, I guess because he knows I'm this, I, you know, I work for a seminary and um, he wanted to demonstrate his credentials. And he was just bragging about how much the New Testament meant to him. Uh, that political leader is in jail today. I uh, had to resign his seat um, because of child pornography charges. Um, I'm not saying anybody's perfect. But right. it's, it's, you got to be careful sometimes when you're pulling out the New Testament or pulling out the Bible and, and pounding it on the table, making claims to love it. Make sure that our lives really do... Uh, reflect it a little bit.
2: Yeah. You see, part of the reason so many people outside the faith struggle with the Bible is because of this kind of hypocrisy. How it's been used against them and against other people by people who claim to know and speak for God and yet are often living in ways that are not godly. So in our conversations about the Bible, please... No scolding, no condescending, no grandstanding, no insulting, no guilting, no manipulating, no shaming, no spiritual abusing. Can we agree on that? In fact, that would actually be a good thing to remember for us in all of our conversations. Let's be like Jesus. Jesus, who revealed the real meaning of the scriptures one conversation at a time by telling wonderful stories, by asking personalized, meaningful, sometimes pointed questions, which he didn't always answer, right? He just left the question there, knowing there can be a conversation somewhere down the line. Jesus took every conversation seriously, especially if he could bring a smile into it somehow. Those parables with the tricky endings... Oh my goodness and most of all Jesus was someone seekers actually wanted to talk to and maybe even be like
3: the third reason that people object to the people associated with the Bible and that is because sometimes they or we are more interested in being right than in being in relationship. Now, you probably probably in the type, somebody who's really argumentative and aggressive, a 5 pusher who tries to beat you into submission with their words. And the truth is, that doesn't sound very much like Jesus, does it? Mm-hmm. One of the principles to follow is, let's use the Bible like Jesus did. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus quoted the Bible. You quote it from time to time, but not to club people with it, because there was good news to tell. Like today, he's in the synagogue in Nazareth. and He stands up in the synagogue, and he, re- he reads from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointing me to proclaim good news. For Jesus' scripture was not a club. It was not something to talk somebody into. It was a treasure to share. It pointed toward the kingdom of God. It pointed toward him, and he He uh, He called attention to that. And uh, we have good news to share in, in the scripture. We don't have to beat anybody over the head with it. You know, it makes you wonder, why do people get this so wrong? Well, I guess we know the answer. But simply knowing the Bible doesn't make you Mm Christ-like. Also the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. And we probably all know people who were, well, like I was when I was a kid. I knew my books in the Bible. I could quote literally hundreds of verses. I wanted to know where to find things in the Bible. I carried a Bible around school with me. I laid it on my desk. I was a, a kid in the Bible. But I was like those folks. I was argument, argumentative, and I was arrogant. I was not a whole humble or think And I had to be broken open a few times before I began to look more like the God of this book that I already knew so well. Just knowing the book doesn't mean that you, um, that you look like God, but that you even know that God.
4: Yeah.
2: Yep. How you doing? Are we? See, this is such good news. What a relief. That's what, in, in writing this, all we, what a relief. We don't have to take on ourselves the responsibility of defending the Bible or proving it or talking anyone into believing it. Briefly, here's three reasons why. First, because that's not our primary message as followers of Jesus. As much as we love scripture, as much as we find truth and comfort and hope in it, first and foremost, our message is Jesus Christ. Our message is the gospel. It is the good news that God came to us in Jesus so we could have eternal relationship with God in him. The written word of God reveals to us the living word of God, Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior. So in conversations about the written word of Scripture, let's just keep pointing people to the living word that they reveal, Jesus second reason Tony's going to give us.
3: The second reason that we don't have to take on ourselves the responsibility defending or proving the Bible or talking anybody into believing it is that that's not a primary job. This responsibility for changing someone's heart or mind belongs to the Holy Spirit, not to us. That's great news. We can trust the Holy Spirit to do what's good. And yeah, we get to be part of that sometimes. We get to be used in that way. And so that doesn't mean we step back and just go, hey, not my job. I don't have to try I don't have to engage people. But but when we do, we can do it with a sense of anticipation. It's even adventure. Hey, yes, let's have a conversation. This would be cool. Because the burden of success is not on us. Yes. It's on God. Always has been.
2: Yep. And the third reason we don't have to, talk, to pe- talk people into believing the Bible is that it's not our primary concern. See, Jesus never told his followers to package the scriptures in a way that made them acceptable to those who don't yet believe. Why? Because as I said earlier, unless the Holy Spirit is living within a person, that person cannot actually understand what the scriptures mean anyway. So we waste a lot of breath and we make a a lot of, we like push a lot of people away by trying to convince people who don't have a relationship with God in Christ yet that we're right. They can't understand it anyway, Paul says, (laughs) 1 Corinthians 2. But the person who is not a Christian does not understand these words from the Holy Spirit, he thinks they're foolish. He cannot understand them because he does not have the Holy Spirit to help him understand. Duh. <laughs> right? When I was an atheist, I thought the Bible had beautiful imagery and poetry. It had a lot to offer as literature. But most of the rest of it was gibberish to me. I had no clue what most of it was talking about because it, it, it was nonsense to me. But immediately after my personal encounter with Christ and, and the Spirit taking up residency in me and in my mind, those same words broke open and there was light and there was life-giving wisdom. There was understanding that was beyond what human the human mind can know. See, again, let's just talk about Jesus from the Scripture first. You're gonna, we're repeating this for a reason. Let's just focus there. And allow the Holy Spirit to draw that person into relationship with him. And then we can have those deep conversations about the Bible because they're going to make a lot more sense. And take a lot less energy and emotion. Tony's going to wrap up and then we'll pray.
3: So let's pull all this together and get to the main point which is that people are likely to read you, are more likely to read you than to read the Bible. Yep. If they see you living out the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, perseverance, all that, they might be interested in seeing what Paul said about it to the Galatians, because that's where it's found. But just going and opening up to the Galatians and reading the fruit of the Spirit is going to be a little hollow or shallow if we can't live it out in front of them. They read us before they read the text. It's always been this way. For the first several, several centuries that the church, Christians didn't even have the Bible that we have. It wasn't compiled yet. And for most of the century since, most ordinary people were illiterate. Yeah. So it wasn't that they were sitting down and looking through Bible passages and making arguments with one another or whatever. The Bible that people read through most of history was the lives of the, un, of the, of the believers people who were filled with the spirit of the living God, they had people who were embodying in their lives and community the living word of God they were the text we are the first Bible that people read, now none of us are have our perfect, we are too are messy and inconsistent and full of errors and and, and people can make the same arguments about us but, um, but we are also being transformed into his likeness right so we're fortunate in our generation of scripture is still available to us. You can get it anywhere. You can square a stack of Bibles just by having a good Bible app on your phone. But just like those Christians in their past, it is our lives that connect most and connect first with people. They would either be repulsed or they'll be attracted by what they see in us. and Maybe they'll see something that they want. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll be curious enough to ask some questions. So that's why we need to be prepared to share with delight the hope that is in it for us. And then, yes, along the way, we can help them see how the Bible makes sense of our stories, because that's a lot of what it does. We find our stories in the big story of the Bible. We find what God has been up to in the world and goes, oh, okay. And this is what God has been up to in me. And now it makes a little bit more sense. So we can help them see that. Uh, and, and and the Bible, of course, does give us directions to live that and those stories out more fully. There's an incredible amount of wisdom in the Bible, and there's an incredible amount of truth. We believe it's the Word of God. It's true. It's good. But in the end, even discussing the Bible is all about relationship. Yeah. So our encouragement to you today is have a relationship with the living Word. The capital W, the Word of God is, is, is Jesus. That's how He's described, by the way, in the Bible. Have a relationship with the living Word of God. Then become like that living Word in your relationships so that others can read that living Word in you. And maybe, yeah, they'll also want to read the written Word to testify. Yes. To the living word, like we've done this morning. Yeah. Thanks.
2: Amen. Thanks for listening through the, our messiness this morning to the heart of the matter. Our conversations, of course, continue every time we get gathered together on Sunday. That's what we're doing. We're having these holy conversations. We can, can't say everything, but we can say what what matters most in this moment, and that means just what Tony was saying: embody the living word in your life, in your words, in your relationships, in all that you do, embody the living word so that, as Tony said, when people look at you, they're reading the Bible without even realizing it. And then, once they have received living word, their minds can break open. They can have light and love. And a way, uh, the mind of Christ, a way of reading the Bible that would uh, be transformative for that as well. Amen? I'm going to close with prayer. We opened with prayer and I was voicing, hopefully in words, some of what all of us were feeling this morning as we came in. I want to close the same way. Uh, The Prayer is going to be. This is a prayer I adapted from an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. And uh, I'll voice the words, but let's recognize the words I'm saying are what's in the heart of all of us, I believe. So let's pray. Giver of all our years, ruler of all our times, For this day and every day we give you thanks. We are grateful for all that has come before us. Before us were our mothers and fathers. Before us were our teachers and mentors. Before us were many scholars who worked hard and saw much. Before us were courageous followers who have run great risks to preserve the biblical text for us. Before us were those living witnesses inspired by your spirit who lovingly, carefully wrote down your word for all of us who would believe and follow. And before all of us, you, you in your wisdom and glory, you in your power and mercy. Today, in your presence, Lord, and in the presence of this great cloud of witnesses, We offer our gratitude and ourselves, asking for freedom, courage, and grace to join the long line of living witnesses before us in sharing with those with us and and, and coming after us the living word, our Lord and Savior Jesus, through your life giving written word, the Bible. We ask that our holy conversations would be as praise for you. You who give all our years. You who rule all our times. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Thank you.
4: Thank you all. Let's do it.